I don't think I will ever forget the Christmas season of 2021. If you remember that far back, that was kind of our first Christmas where we could gather again with family and friends and celebrate the holidays. For Jess and I, it was like most holidays. We spent the week, or let's be honest, the weeks of the holiday with her family, her extended family, as well as mine. And it, and it was great, and it was different because, again, we were able to gather for the first time in well over a year. But this Christmas was actually quite different for an entirely other reason. You see, the Christmas of 2021, not all of my family was able to gather together over the holidays. My my grandma on my dad's side was in the hospital, and it had been quite an up-and-down experience for her and for us. And I remember very clearly on Boxing Day, as we sat in the living room of my other grandparents, we got an update that they were going to be transporting my grandma to another hospital for a surgery. And in that update, we were informed that it was going to be about a 50-50 chance that she was going to pull through. And I remember in that moment, in getting that really difficult, hard news, this invitation for my dad to pray for God to intervene in that situation. Now, if you've ever been to one of my family get-togethers, you know that I... I'm usually the one that they ask to pray, usually before a meal. And I guess that kind of comes with the territory of being a pastor in my family. But in this moment, and in this invitation to prayer, pray, my brother beat me to the punch. And I remember in that living room as we sat there together, he gave one of the most authentic, genuine prayers that I have ever heard. The kind of prayer that comes from a desperate, broken place. The kind of prayer that recognizes absolute helplessness. The kind of prayer that says, there is nothing I can do. Only you, God, can intervene. I don't think I will ever forget that moment or prayer. And I don't know about you, but have you ever prayed like that? Have you ever been in that kind of situation? I know that I will never forget that. Now, we prayed and I prayed for my grandma throughout the surgery and into the recovery. Again, there was a 50-50 chance God needed to intervene. And if I'm honest, I really struggled during those days of waiting. But on the first day of 2022, I was able to FaceTime with my grandma for the first time. And this was incredibly important for me in that moment because I had missed an opportunity to speak with her days earlier. It turned out to be such a precious gift. It wasn't a long conversation, but it was an important one. because it turned out that that would be the last time that I would talk to my grandma. 
Because just a few days later, she passed. And I think here's what makes that so hard even still. That although we prayed for her to get better, and there was this glimpse of hope, we still ended up having to say goodbye to her. So why didn't prayer work? Why didn't God respond the way that we wanted to? Where was he? Has this ever happened to you? Have you ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? Have you ever prayed like me for a loved one to be healed and it didn't happen? Have you ever sat on the edge of your bed or in your car on your way to work and prayed and prayed and prayed and ultimately didn't see your prayers answered? Have you ever prayed for a negative medical test result only to have it come back the way you feared? Have you ever prayed for something and it didn't happen? It's hard, isn't it? It's really hard to make sense of that. Or maybe you're sitting here this morning and you're in the middle of that right now. Maybe you've been praying for something for such a long time that you're just ready to give up. Or maybe you've been praying for a long time and you just haven't seen any fruit from your labors. Or maybe you've been praying and praying for a child and you just haven't gotten one. Or you've been praying for your marriage and it just keeps falling apart. Or maybe you've been praying for someone to be healed or yourself and things just aren't getting better. We could honestly spend the whole morning filling in that blank. The disappointment and pain that accompanies unanswered prayer makes this a hard place to be. This is often the space that we become most angry with God. Where are you? Why didn't you respond the way that we asked you to? This can also be the space that we walk away from faith entirely. If God were so powerful, why didn't he heal my grandma? Does he not care? This can even be the space that we start entertaining the option that God isn't there. This is a tough place to be. Unanswered prayer is something we will all wrestle with. Or will wrestle with at some point in our lives. Whether you're a follower of Jesus or not, we all know that life is going to be difficult at times. It's an inevitability. But sometimes it can be even harder knowing that there is an all-powerful, loving God that can change, who does at times intervene, even in the most hopeless situations, but doesn't always intervene the way that we want him to. So what do we as followers of Jesus do with unanswered prayer? How do we work out this aspect of our faith? This is an important conversation to have. 
Because unanswered prayers can shake the very foundation of our faith. And at times, it can can cause us to doubt our faith entirely. This is an incredibly hard topic. Don't get me wrong. This is an incredibly hard topic even at church. We talk often about faith. We talk about a God who is there for us. So what do we do when he doesn't respond the way that we want him to? I mean, we have faith, we pray, so why wouldn't he answer our prayers? This is such a hard and so often painful conversation. And I think we often like to shy away from it because of that. And often we just don't even know what to say because we're carrying our own disappointment and our own pain in that. And when our friends ask us about it, We have no answers for them. But I know for me personally, as I've wrestled with this question around unanswered prayer, I have found it so incredibly helpful and freeing to look at the story of God and to see how he's revealed himself in his written word. As I have asked this tough question, and as I've asked tough questions like unanswered prayer, The one thing that I have found about the Bible is that it does not shy away from tough topics. It doesn't try to hide unanswered prayer, but rather puts it out in the open. Pete Gregg, in his book on prayer, writes, The Bible is more honest about unanswered prayer than the church. So in this season, as I've wrestled with these questions, it's become important for me And it's become important in moments when my faith is shaken to wrestle with God in Scripture around topics like unanswered prayer. And it's so freeing to know that God wants to have those conversations. Just read through the book of Psalms. Those conversations are everywhere. God invites us to ask tough questions. So let's wrestle with the top, this topic, unanswered prayer in the story of God. For me personally, as I've been wrestling with this question, I've been doing it a lot with the prophet Elijah and his story centered around prayer. This past summer, I was reading from the Lectio 365 app and a passage from the book of James was the focus for that particular morning. So... If you have your Bibles here and handy, or you have your Bible app at the ready, we are going to jump to James 5, verses 17 to 18. Now, if you don't have a Bible here, that's okay. We're going to throw the verses up on the screen. But I did want to say, if you don't have a Bible, period, like you don't own one, there's not one in your house, please stop by our information desk because we would love to gift you a Bible. Again, that passage is in James 5, 17 to 18. Just before we head into there, just a bit of context for the book of James. It is found in the New Testament, the second half of your Bible, pretty much all the way to the end. This book or letter was written by the half-brother of Jesus, James. If you remember what Pastor Eldon used to say, he often would say that James is one of the greatest pieces of evidence we have in Scripture for the divinity of Jesus. 
Why, you might ask? Because if you can convince any of your siblings that you are God, it's probably true. (laughs) This particular passage is found in an interesting section where James, before this section, is writing about patience and suffering, and then shifts gears to prayer. And here's what he writes. Elijah was a human being, even as we are. He prayed earnestly that it would not rain, and it did not rain on the land for three and a half years. Again, he prayed, and the heavens gave rain, and the earth produced its crop. Now, if you read these verses, there's not much here on the surface for how we wrestle with unanswered prayer. Because if you look at it, you can say, without needing a math degree or a theology degree, that Elijah prayed and God answered. It happens in this passage twice. Again, you don't need a math degree or a theology degree to pick that up. He prayed that it wouldn't rain, and it didn't rain. He then prayed for rain, and it did. If you're asking me, that looks like a 100% success rate. So what is it that we can even pull from this story that helps us with the prayers that aren't answered? or the prayers that we haven't seen the fruit from yet. Well, let's use James's passage as a portal to take us back to Elijah's story in full. And let's see what we can learn there. Now, Elijah's story is found in 1 Kings, starting at chapter 17. Now, we don't have time to read the whole, because it's like three or four chapters. We don't have time to read the whole story, so I'm going to do my best to summarize it for you. Again, if you want to read it for yourselves, 1 Kings starting at 17. Let's do a little bit of context work before we jump into Elijah's story. Elijah is a prophet of the Lord who lives in Israel during a very messy period of its history. His story comes after generations after the reign of David, King David during a time where Israel is seeing incredible amounts of division. The people of Israel have been split into the northern and southern kingdom. So in this story, we see a political divide that Elijah enters into. But not only is there a political divide, but during this time, it is seen generation after generation of king leading the people of Israel further and further away from their God. So there's political divide, and their spiritual divide. So that's the background, that's the context work. Now, during the reign of King Ahab, Elijah enters the story. And what do you think the first thing Elijah does in the story? Well, he prays. And what does he pray for? He prays for no rain. This is exactly what James is recording. This seems like a strange request to me. I think by his request we can come to the conclusion that Elijah is not a farmer. Because why else would he pray for no rain? So Elijah prays. And the question is, was his prayer answered? Well, James tells us it does. But as Elijah's story unpacks in Kings, it tells us about a severe drought and famine. And we know from both James and from Kings that it lasts for three years. But I think it's not this prayer, but I think rather the next prayer that Elijah gives in this story that can teach us 
a great deal about prayer in general. Unlike James, the author of 1 Kings captures this prayer. In the third year of no rain, Elijah rolls into the court of King Ahab. And again, at this point in the story, they're not a fan of him. They don't like him at all. Elijah rolls in and challenges the prophets of Baal, the god that the kings have been leading the people towards, and challenges them to a contest to prove who the one true god is, Yahweh or Baal. The rules of the contest are very simple. Each group will offer up a sacrifice on an altar, and the god that consumes the sacrifice in fire is the one true god. But there's a couple of catches. No one can light the altar. Only God can. And to stack the odds even further against him, Elijah wants the showdown to be one prophet of Yahweh versus 450 prophets of Baal. If anyone ever gives you those odds, say challenge accepted. Because that's exactly what the prophets of Baal do here. Challenge accepted. We'll take those odds. So these 450 prophets make their altar, place their sacrifice upon it, and begin calling out for Baal to consume their sacrifice in fire. They begin to shout, they begin to dance, and nothing happens. They do this for hours, and nothing happens. So Elijah decides to help them. Well, doesn't really help them. He begins to taunt them and tell them, shout louder, because maybe your God isn't listening, or maybe your God is asleep, or traveling, or just not paying attention. Shout louder, because maybe you need to get his attention. So that's just what they do. They shout louder, they start frantically prophesying, they even go as far to start cutting themselves with swords to get the attention of their God. They do this all day, still nothing. So now it's Elijah's turn. He builds up his altar. He places his sacrifice upon it. And then going one step further, stacking the odds ever more in the favor of Baal, he requests that water be poured on his altar three times. Have you ever tried lighting a campfire after it's rained? Same idea. After this, Elijah invites the crowd in closer. He steps towards the altar and he prays. Lord, the God of Abraham, Isaac, and Israel, let it be known today that you are God in Israel and that I am your servant. And I have done all these things at your command. Answer me, Lord, answer me. So these people will know that, Lord, you are God and that you are turning their hearts back again. That's it. That's all he does. No shouting, no dancing, no cutting with swords, just this simple prayer. He's outnumbered one to 450. His altar is soaking wet. Surely Elijah would have needed to do more. But he prays. Just a simple prayer. And what happens? Well, God sends down fire, consumes the sacrifice, the altar, the ground and the rocks around the altar, 
even the water that's pooled up on the ground, gone. One simple prayer, 59 words to be exact, that's it. But again, if you're keeping score at home, you can see that the prayer counter went up, two for two. First, no rain, now fire. So what's the lesson here? What should we be pulling from this story? Is the answer that we just have to be a prophet like Elijah to have our prayers answered? Or maybe there's just something special about Elijah, and that's why his prayers work and ours don't sometimes. I think the easy answer in this world is, of course not. And I think that Elijah knew that we would ask these questions. And I think that this is the reason why Elijah invites his audience in closer, to come in closer to watch him in his prayer. I think sometimes as humans, we have the tendency to treat these stories like the Wizard of Oz, that we just need to see behind the curtain. What is it that makes Elijah's prayers work at times when mine don't seem to? Was it just because of who he is? I think this is the exact same line of thinking that James tells us that Elijah is just like us, human. There's no secret sauce here. I think the lesson that Elijah invited us closer to learn is that our prayers are not answered or left unanswered based on our performance. Let me say that again. Our prayers are not answered or left unanswered based on our performance. I think sometimes when prayers are not answered or are not answered the way we want them to be, we slip into a way of thinking that says, did I do enough? Did I pray long enough or hard enough? Did I ask enough people to pray for me and with me? Did I submit my requests correctly? Did I use the right words? It might be just me, but have you had these kind of thoughts when prayers go unanswered? I know for a fact that this is immediately where my head went when my grandma passed. Did I pray enough? I just want to say to anyone who is living in this kind of thought space, the kind of thought space that says, I should have prayed longer or harder, or in a certain way. I just want to encourage you today that your prayers were not answered or left unanswered based on your performance. There weren't. It wasn't because you didn't pray hard enough or long enough. I know we can and we probably should unpack this thought more, and maybe we will at a later date, but I just want to bring this to your attention if you're wrestling with this. And I just want to invite you, if you're thinking that I didn't do enough, I just want to invite you to throw that burden off today. Your prayers weren't unanswered because of your performance. They weren't. So be free of that today. Let's continue with Elijah's story. 
immediately after this great triumph of God, this triumph that saw many people return back to Yahweh, there is this exchange between Elijah and the king. And Elijah tells him, rain is coming. After this, Elijah climbs to the top of Mount Carmel. And before we go any further in this story, I want you to lock this image in your mind. Elijah on top of Mount Carmel praying. This is a super important image in this story. Do you guys have it locked in? Okay, let's continue. Elijah heads up the mountain, not alone, but with a servant. And again, after his greatest triumph, and he begins to pray for rain. Elijah sits on the ground, places his head to his knees, and prays for rain. After praying, he asks his servant to go check the horizon for rain. Guess what? Nothing. Let's revisit the prayer counter, shall we? Three prayers in this story, two answered. The servant comes back with this report, no rain on the horizon. So Elijah prays again. And again, he asks his servant to check the horizon for rain. Again, nothing. Let's revisit the prayer counter. Four prayers, two answered. The servant comes back again with the same report, and Elijah again prays and asks the servant to go check the horizon for rain. Again, nothing. This happens six times in the story. With each unanswered prayer, Elijah keeps praying. He doesn't give up praying. He keeps asking. He keeps laboring in prayer. Now, this mountaintop story does end with on the seventh time of praying and checking the horizon, the servant sees a small rain cloud in the distance. And for the first time in three and a half years, it rains. And here's what I want us to know from this story. Not all unanswered prayers are a no. Sometimes they are a wait or not yet. Sometimes we just need to remain patient and keep asking. Not all illnesses are forever. Not all broken relationships are lost. Not all wombs are closed forever. Singleness doesn't have to be indefinite. Sometimes we just need to keep asking. Sometimes we just need to keep hanging in there. God invites us to show up, keep showing up with our requests. An image for prayer and God's response to prayer sometimes I find really helpful is that of a traffic light. Some prayers are a green light. Go. We pray and God answers those prayers. Some prayers are a red light. No or never. But some prayers, some prayers are a yellow light. Just wait. And I think the encouragement for us, or rather the invitation, is to persevere in prayer even when we're starting to lose hope. 
God invites us to keep coming back and keep coming to him with those requests. A hero of faith of mine, Corey Tamboom, once wrote, when a train goes through a tunnel and it gets dark, when we pray and our prayers are not answered, you don't throw away the ticket and jump off. You sit still and you trust the engineer. Or another way to look at it, when you're driving and you encounter a yellow light, don't abandon the car. Rather, that's actually just really good driving advice, but also just in prayer as well. At a yellow light, we don't just abandon the car. We keep the engine running and we wait. Don't start losing faith. Don't give up. Don't give up on prayer and don't give up on God. In moments of prayer and waiting, don't pull away, but rather lean in further. In these seasons where we're laboring in prayer, we must continue to hold on to God's love and we need to continue to hold out for God's power. One of the reasons that James's words regarding Elijah have become so impactful for me on this topic are these simple words, and the earth produced its crop. On the surface, we read this and we think, oh yeah, of course, rain is needed to bring growth. But here's the part of that story that impacts me deeply. In order for there to be a crop after the rain, that would require there to be seeds in the ground. Without seeds, no crop. So in this story, that would have required farmers to plant seeds in the dust during a drought. The first year, I get why you would plant. There was rain last year. Why would this year be any different? Year two, well, maybe last year was a fluke. But year three? You think you might have given up at that point. Planting seeds with no promise of rain is hard, but incredibly necessary. God invites us to continue to pray, to continue to plant seeds in the dust, because in all situations, the rain may be coming. It might just be far in the distance. It might just be a small cloud, but rain is coming. So be patient. And again, cycling back to Elijah's first prayer, the key to remember here is that we don't keep praying because that's what's needed in order for our prayers to be answered. Remember, again, our prayers are not answered based on our performance. We keep sowing seeds in the dirt because it's time spent with the gardener. We keep praying and asking God because he wants to spend time with us as we wait for the rain. He wants to give us strength in his presence to wait. Time in prayer with God is never wasted. Time spent in the presence of God is never meaningless. But what do we do with the prayers that will never be answered? What do we do with the prayers that are a red light or with the seeds that will never see rain? 
Just as James teleported us to Elijah, the way that Elijah's story is constructed here can teleport us to another place, another garden, actually. Here was Elijah, and again, this is that image that you locked in. Here was Elijah praying on a mountain, and not just any mountain, but a mountain that's name means garden. That's significant. So here's Elijah praying in a place called garden. Can we think of any other mountaintop gardens where someone is wrestling with God in prayer? I can think of one. Jesus praying in the garden. The night of his arrest, Jesus finds himself in a garden atop the Mount of Olives. Jesus is wrestling with God and begging for rain. Not literal rain, but rather for God to intervene. He asks, Father, if it is your will, take this cup from me. Yet not my will, but yours be done. And if you read Luke's account just a little later on, Jesus prays again, just like Elijah does. But here's the thing, friends. If you know this garden story, you know that this prayer goes unanswered. The cup isn't taken. Jesus, is suffer Jesus ends up suffering. Rain doesn't come. And Jesus goes to the cross. And he dies there. And here's the one truth that as followers of Jesus that we can hold on to as we wrestle with unanswered prayer. Jesus, the Son of God, the Son of God who sits at the right hand of the Father, sits there with unanswered prayer. Just like you and I, Jesus gets it. The great high priest has unanswered prayers. So then how do we live in that tension? Because I don't need to remind you, we aren't Jesus. So what is there here for us? Well, let's head back to our friend Elijah just one last time. After these great triumphs of prayer, rain and fire, Elijah finds himself on another mountain, praying to God to remove a cup from him. He's had it. He doesn't want to keep going. He is pleading with God to intervene. And God says that he's going to show up. This is that famous story of the fire, the earthquake, and the wind, and God not being in any of them. But rather, God decides to show up in a whisper. Now, why is that important? I think it's important because what a whisper represents. A whisper is something that you do for someone that you love. You don't typically whisper in the ear of a stranger. Have you tried that? It's weird. A whisper is an intimate thing. And that's why this is so important to unanswered prayer. Because even in the middle of your pain and your doubt and your questioning, God wants to be close to you. He wants you to hear his whisper in the midst of your doubt and your pain. 
He wants you to hear his whisper that says, I love you and I see you. But I know at times it can be really hard to hear the whisper of God. We've all been there. And maybe that's where you find yourself today. Maybe you feel like God isn't that close. Maybe you're sitting there and you're feeling like, I am in such a space of pain, disappointment, and doubt that the loving whisper of God would really help me. Here's what I want to encourage you. Like all whispers, sometimes we need to lean in a little bit more to hear them. Even in the prayers that we feel are unanswered, God answers us with his whisper, his closeness. God's answer to prayer, to all prayers, whether answered or unanswered, is him. And he whispers that to us when we lean into his word, as we lean into prayer, as we lean into our community, and through his Holy Spirit. I think without the intimate whisper of God, journeying through the pain of unanswered prayer is so incredibly lonely. And I think we see this on full display on the cross. From the cross, Jesus cries out, my God, my God, why have you forsaken me? Jesus, who is living in the midst of his unanswered prayer, cries out for the whisper of God. He cries out for the loving presence of his Father. And I think that this is what makes the cross so hard because it doesn't seem like God is there. But it's because of what Jesus has accomplished on the cross that none of us have to experience or endure that. We don't have to be alone in our pain and in our disappointment. That even as we are living in the middle of unanswered prayers, or in the middle of prayers that have yet to be answered, we hold on to the hope that God will never forsake us or abandon us. But more than that, that it's exactly in the middle of unanswered prayer that God wants to draw us to himself more intimately than we could possibly even imagine. So friends, and I'll invite David up at this time, Friends, when our prayers are not answered the way that we hoped or in the way that we wished they were, let us not pull away. Let us recognize the one who did the most incredibly, incredible lone act of sacrifice for us so that we would never have to be alone. Let us draw closer to him in the midst of our pain and our disappointment. Let us notice the gardener as we continue to sow seeds in the dirt this year, whether it rains or not. Let me pray. Lord Jesus, we thank you for this space and this time to wrestle together in prayer. God, we know that this room represents prayers that haven't been answered or who are being waited for an answer. And Lord Jesus, in all of those prayers, I ask for your whisper. I ask for your whisper to be loud and clear. 
that people in this room, as they struggle with disappointment and doubt in prayer, would know that you love them and that you want to be close to them. So Lord Jesus, would we continue to plant seeds with no promise of rain, but Lord, as we look back, we know that you've reigned and that you have done amazing things in our lives. So we ask God, and we continue to ask, do it again. Would you send rain on all of the seeds that have been planted? But above all else, God, would you meet each person in prayer? We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen.